welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication and tickets are on sale now. The second early bird discount will be available until September 18th. For more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. I'm Giovanni Bertani from Tenuta Santa Maria. I'm very happy to welcome uh, Gurvinder Batia for this session. Um, as a wine producer, okay, uh, the subject is pretty interesting. It's very interesting um, as we distribute uh, and we are getting uh, more and more international. And even through uh, uh, the historic wine, wine uh, markets, uh, wines reaches uh, more diverse culture and ethnicities, we face more and more uh, what actually uh, Gurvinder is going to uh, show us. So we need to understand other cultures and we need to deal with them. So welcome again to Gurvinder. Gurvinder is also uh, brought us uh, the first printed edition of uh, Quench magazine is the oldest Northern American food and wine magazine. And um, it is actually the first printed edition after COVID. Also, Gurvinder is, of course, uh, the editor-in-chief and uh, the publisher today of this magazine. Beside that is also one of the few Minita uh, International Academy wine experts. So welcome again, and I'll leave you with Gurvinder. Thank you. Grazie Giovanni. Buongiorno a tutti. We're going to discuss several issues and touch on many aspects of this topic, which in many ways is very complex and in some ways is so basically obvious. Uh, and the wine industry is simply an extension of society. So in order to apply these concepts to the wine industry, we need to first understand the terminology. So in terms of learning objectives, um, I'm not going to read this to you because you can see it up on the screen. But let's look at this a little bit closer. The highlighted sections. Systemic nature of racism. We must understand that racism is systemic, meaning that is embedded in the structure, the laws, and processes of societies, organizations, and institutions resulting in a system that advantages white people and disadvantages indigenous and people of color. Notably in employment, education, justice, healthcare, housing, the media, and political representation. The next highlighted part is lived experiences and realities. 
Too often, the lived experiences and realities of BIPOC are ignored in favor of a narrative created by white people, which often perpetuates and escalates racial stereotypes. Active listening. We need active and open listening without presumptions. It's okay not to know, but it's not okay to assume when you don't know. Constructive conversations, these are conversations intended to promote improvement and development, and groups and individuals that are interested in promoting social inclusion and equity. Some people just don't want to acknowledge that there's an issue. Let's concentrate our efforts on those that are interested and understand the importance of social inclusion and equity and hope that the others come around. In some cases, it will be because they have to, not because they want to. So why do we need to speak about diversity and inclusion? Well, I think it's important to understand that racism infects every aspect of our society. The Center for Race and Culture defines racism as a system of power and violence that structures opportunity and assigns value based on the social construct of race where privilege is afforded to whiteness, unfairly disadvantaging indigenous communities and people of color. So let's think about that. Racism is rooted in the belief that certain groups of people are worth less as human beings. So just because someone is born with brown skin or black skin, they are seen to be worth less as a human being. This is why we need to discuss these issues. Now, racism and discrimination are interrelated concepts. Discrimination is the unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people, especially on the grounds of skin color, religion, cultural differences, age, gender, and sexual orientation. Racism is a type of discrimination, but not all discrimination is racism. Now let's look at the definitions of diversity and inclusion. So terminology is important to understand this topic, and that's why we're spending some time on defining some of these key terms. So here's a couple of definitions of, of diversity. The first is from Harvard University. And it's the condition of being different or having differences. Differences among people with respect to age, class, ethnicity, gender, health, physical and mental ability, race, sexual orientation, religion, physical size, education level, job, function, personality traits, and other human differences. Now, the second definition of, of diversity from global diversity practice, the part about this that I think is, is key is... Uh, that each individual in an organization brings with them a diverse set of perspectives, work and life experiences, as well as religious and cultural differences. And this is the part that I think that is immensely important and relevant, is that individuals bring a diverse set of perspectives and experiences. The importance of this concept is too often understated and undervalued in organizations. So the power of diversity can only be unleashed and its benefits reaped when we recognize these differences and learn to respect and value each individual irrelevant of their background. This is where we get into inclusion. The process of inclusion 
engages each individual and makes them feel valued as being essential to the success of an organization. Now, evidence shows that when people feel valued, they function at a higher capacity and feel part of the organization's mission. The cult, this culture shift creates higher performance, performing organizations where motivation and morale at our much higher levels. Now, diversity for the sake of optics does not equal inclusion. Employing BIPOC for the sake of optics without having those diverse perspectives as part of the decision-making of an organization is not inclusion. It's tokenism. The influence of mainstream media is, is an important concept to, uh, to grasp because the mainstream media play a significant role in how the general public perceives marginalized groups. Systemic racism is entrenched within media organizations and the manner in which the media covers stories on race perpetuates racism because stories are framed through the lens of a workforce that lacks ethnic and racial diversity. The majority of editors, producers, writers, and reporters lack the context, perspective, and experience to know or acknowledge the existence of other perspectives outside their reality. And their reality is one that creates a limited narrative that does not reflect the realities and lived experiences of a significant portion of the population. Now, this significantly impacts the public's perception of race if the media frames these stories only through one lens. In the week immediately after the killing of George Floyd, most stories in local media focused on protests turning violent. There was no initial mention of systemic racism and why Floyd's murder served as a catalyst to the protests. It was only after pressure mounted and more people publicly expressed their outrage that the media's coverage start to look beyond a singular perspective. Now, I bring up George Floyd because his murder infuriated enough of mainstream of society to act as a catalyst to start having these conversations again. And I say again because these issues are not new. These issues have existed for centuries, and we've been having the same conversations for as long as I can remember throughout the 56 years that I've been alive. Um, outrage is too often fleeting. The question is how we can sustain the current focus on systemic racism that exists in all aspects of our society, including the media, and actually create change, or are we destined for this to be another brief period in history where change is demanded, yet the needle only marginally moves? Now, there's a little question that Black journalists, Indigenous journalists, and journalists of color are underrepresented in the media, particularly in decision-making roles. If you have a homogenous group of people with decision-making capacity, they determine what stories are relevant, how these stories are presented, and who is presenting them. The media need more BIPOC in decision-making roles, and not just for optics. Hiring a person of color as a managing editor, but having that individual still be bound by the status quo lens of white management, or if that individual refuses to advocate for change, whether it be because of fear of negative repercussions, or wanting to fit in and not rock the boat, or to prevent other BIPOC from advancing will not result in change. Now, this parallels other organizations in society, and the media contributes to those issues. Let's con consider the culinary industry, and one of the biggest issues that has been brought to light is cultural appropriation. 
Cultural appropriation is the adoption, often unacknowledged or inappropriate, of ideas, practices, customs, and cultural identity uh, markers of one society or group by members of another group or society that typically has greater power or privilege. Without substantive reciprocity, permission, compensation, understanding, appreciation, or involvement. Examples of cultural appropriation in the culinary world, you know, all too common um, for a white chef to get notoriety for their take on an ethnic dish. Um, when chefs of the cultural of the culture whose dish is being appropriated are not acknowledged or recognized or compensated or involved in the process. And again, the media plays a role in this. Uh, Adrian Miller, who is a culinary historian and James Beard award-winning author, writes about the history of barbecue in the U.S. He writes that for much of U.S. history, African-Americans were barbecue's principal cooks. Unfortunately, starting in the 90s, the culinary legacy of African-Americans gradually diminished or was completely erased in the media. And Miller writes, the cooks who get celebrated now are primarily white men, and that's mainly because it's white-dominated media who often decide which food stories get told and who gets put in the spotlight. When people with a growing interest in barbecue want to know what this particular food is and where to get the good stuff, white dudes were presented as barbecue experts, even though many black barbecuers should, who should have been selected. Another example is white chefs selling buttered chicken and naan bread and representing it as Indian cuisine. They are relegating one of the most diverse culinary countries in the world to an often bastardized dish and the ignorance of not even doing a little bit of homework to know that naan already means bread. And don't even get me started on chai tea. That's, that's a whole different game that I'm not going with. Uh, but what are the consequences of cultural appropriation. Uh, Dr. Kelly Chong um, says that it perpetuates generalizations and stereotypes of the marginalized group. It often misrepresents and distorts the original meaning of these elements, exoticizes, simplifies, and commodifies them for display and consumption by the mainstream public. And it diminishes the relevance and importance of the element taken from the minority culture and deems that it is more societally acceptable only when the majority culture adopts it. Now, when we look at cultural appreciation and exchange, you know, eating and enjoying food from another culture is one of the best examples of cultural appreciation and exchange. However, where someone of the dominant culture is profiting off the custom and culture of a marginalized culture without recognition and compensation, this is where the issue occurs. True appreciation entails some level of understanding and respect. Are you open to learning about what it is that you're using, or do you uh, choose to ignore the feelings of the people from the culture you are borrowing from? Cultural appropriation diminishes and dilutes. Cultural appreciation acknowledges and honors. Cultural exchange is, a mute, is mutual, and it's upon invitation. Rachel Kuo wrote, when people think culture can seemingly be understood with a bite of food, that's where it gets problematic. Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps or books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged and much, much more. Just visit our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. 
Now, back to the show. How do we avoid cultural appropriation? Ask yourself these questions. Is there a history of discrimination against this identity group? Do your actions perpetuate negative stereotypes? Are you depicting the culture incorrectly? Am I using someone else's cultural or religious symbols out of context? Does this offend anyone from the cultural group of origin? And am I benefiting at the expense of the cultural group of origin? Let me give an example of cultural stereotyping very specific to the wine industry. Number one, I think, you know, something that's very personal to me, I mean, is when people refer to Indian food uh, as, a, as a monochromatic uh, cuisine, not recognizing the cultural and regional diversity of food throughout the country. And the generalization that one style of wine pairs with not just Indian cuisine, but all Asian cuisine, uh, and it inaccurately shows the ignorance of those perpetuating the stereotype, for the most part, are white wine writers and those who have very little understanding of the cuisine because they write for credible publications, their word is taken as authority. And I see this all the time where it's written that the only wine that pairs with Asian cuisine is sweet wine. Uh, and it is, quite quite frankly, it's inaccurate uh, and uh, it's disrespectful and it's infuriating. I think it's also important to recognize that everyone's palate is not a traditional white palate and that the traditional rules on food and wine pairing are antiquated, irrelevant, and create more anxiety and barriers to the average consumer than making wine more accessible and less intimidating, which is what the objective should be. Now, another example of cultural stereotyping, I was born in Canada. I owned one of the most successful private wine shops for over 20 years. Uh, I was the wine columnist for CBC Radio for 11 years. I've been in the wine industry for over 25 years. And I'm the editor-in-chief and publisher of the oldest food and wine magazine in North America. Yet, I still get people, always white people, asking me, how is it that I know about wine because your people are not wine drinkers? A harsher example of cultural stereotyping I had an English master of wine say to me that she would never go to India because it was a country filled with rapists. Now, if she's saying this to me, someone who's of Indian cultural background, who else is she saying this to and what is she saying to them? The optics of diversity are often seen as success while ignoring the systemic roots of the issue, thereby perpetuating the inequities. And there's... You hear the term diversity committee. So many organizations nowadays have diversity committees. Most often, they are useless and only for optics because these committees have no authority. Diversity and inclusion has to be ingrained in every aspect of an organization, and the policies have to have substance in all aspects of decision-making and culture, from hiring, advancement, workplace environment, anti-racism policies, and on and on and on and on. Good intentions are worthless without action and progressive and positive impact. And change must occur now when there is outrage, when the issues are at the forefront, and while the focus is on all our institutions, including the media. And more than BIPOCs telling stories and dealing with that deal with BIPOC issues, it's about having and considering different perspectives and seeing issues through more than a single monochromatic lens. It's always interesting when I talk to people about the direction we're taking with Quench Magazine since I purchased it uh, to ensure that we are 
telling the stories that need to be told the way they should be told by the people who should be telling them and to make our content relevant to more than just the traditional audiences. When I speak with people who are white, the discussion is about how diversity is very much a concept. When I speak to other people of color, it's more about making the magazine a true representation of society because diversity is not a concept. It is how we live our lives every day. And I've said this before, but diversity and inclusion must occur at the ownership, senior management, and decision-making levels in order for it to have any effect. Now, there's many considerations, but let's talk about um, what are the economic benefits of, of being inclusive. Number one, you're drawing from a bigger talent pool. Uh, you can hire and keep the best talent. Understanding people with different backgrounds, their cultures, their customs, and values has added value. The traditional way of doing things is frequently limiting. Uh, diversity and inclusion allows for creating new paths, which can open up new audiences. Now, those individuals, employers, or institutions who understand diverse views appeal to a wide range, a wider range of the population and are more likely to succeed. In a global marketplace, a company that employs a diverse workforce and is respectful and understanding of other cultures is likely better equipped to succeed. If your sole purpose is to benefit economically from a culture without respecting or understanding that culture, any benefits will likely be short-term and not sustainable. So let me give you an example of a very recent uh, experience, uh, uh, an example of bad business. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Bordeaux on a press trip with four others, uh, four Canadians, one American, everyone white except for me, which has been normally the case on, uh, on many of my press trips for over the last 25 years. Uh, so one of the producers, uh, an older white man, asked me if I was familiar with Canada. And I said that I was born there. Uh, and he looked surprised. Uh, he didn't ask the other white journalists if they were familiar with the country. And the conversation um, pretty much digressed from there. But these antiquated views and interactions hold back the industry from attracting consumers and penetrating markets that aren't predominantly white. And it's important to recognize that good intentions are not enough. You need to have learned knowledge and you need to take the time to educate yourself. Now, sometimes organizations do the right thing, but not because they believe it's the right thing to do. Uh, they won't change just because it's the right thing to do. If that was the case, change would have already happened. They will change because of outside pressures Losing customers, in the case of media, advertisers pulling their dollars, being shamed in public for being seen as not supporting and promoting diversity and inclusion. And at some point, and I believe that point is coming, if organizations do not expressly denounce racism, they will be seen as supporting it. It will no longer be enough just to be non-racist. You must be anti-racist. Now, some of the, the takeaways... You know, inclusion is only possible when the narrative exists and is communicated through more than a single lens. And there is a greater representation of our society on all facets and levels of decision making. And importantly here, everyone benefits when we work to improve equity for all, 
including non-BIPOC BIPOC people. And I think that is one of the key uh, elements that sometimes uh, mainstream society doesn't comprehend or, or want to understand is that uh, society as a whole will benefit as we uh, incorporate uh, diversity and conclusion in all aspects of, of our society. I've left uh, some time here for for, for questions, uh, and uh, uh, I think actually, you know, Giovanni uh, told me a story about uh, when uh, on one of your trips to China, and I think you know that's that's a great example of of, uh, of looking at a market that I think too often look at uh, in a very uh, homogenous way, yeah. and and understanding that. Uh, to actually do business in a market to any significant degree, you have to understand all so, aspects um, of the market. For myself, myself, I, by the way, I love your presentation because it's actually what I'm experiencing um, in a lot of my trips in different countries and and, different, and meeting actually, being in contact with different cultures. One of my last trip before COVID was in China, in Beijing, to, for a big uh, wine event. And um, I refused to be booked in a five-star hotel, uh, in an international hotel. I didn't want to be in a golden cage, in a golden, in a bubble, just, you know, uh, just uh, meeting Italians abroad, you know, presenting wines. I wanted to experience the culture. So I told this organization, I'm sorry, not going to book with you. And I, I actually, I booked in a hutong that is actually a traditional Chinese house inside the old city of Beijing. Okay. And I spent the days there. Looking at people who were actually um, going out of the house, uh, going, you know, taking their bicycles or cars, uh, you know, uh, I I went to the local restaurants with with my local importers. I avoided, as I as usually do, Italian restaurants. Uh, I think it's very important to to understand the culture, and was a great experience, eye opening, and and I think uh, even even though is is a small thing, okay, I'm not going to change. Uh, uh, you know, deep, you know, uh, yeah, process, you know, rooted racism uh, with this in uh, in our society that will take time. Is is just small things you can do in your everyday life and business experience to 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 open yourself and understand and appreciate the culture. So even even with small things, and one thing is actually avoiding to be always with 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 Italian, with your 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 own culture. So try to mix with the other cultures. Thank you for 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 your presentation again. And I think you know it it, it um, uh, it's not just about looking at um, uh, markets, new markets that are traditionally seen as not wine markets, but it's also looking at existing markets and groups of people in those markets that have traditionally been ignored. And so the, the approach that we take in the wine industry, I think, has to be a much broader perspective than what has traditionally been taken um you know and i mentioned you know the food and wine pairing aspect i mean those rules and i know most people now have have evolved past those rules but it is still something that gets written about too often in too many publications uh and it is from a very narrow perspective and ignores 
the the type of cuisine that exists even in North America. It's not just something about uh, you know food in in different countries uh, around the world. It's about food also in in North America uh, and in Europe, where we are looking at wine as something that we want to make more uh, accessible for the average consumer. And I think sometimes as an industry we don't give the consumer enough importance or credit. Uh, and we need to put much more focus on making wine something that is not intimidating uh, and that is much more accessible than I think what's happened over the last decade in particular. I think 20 years ago, uh, there was a great effort in our industry to make wine accessible to the average consumer. And then I think we got very much away from that. And the last decade, I think, has been... Um, uh, not uh, uh, a shining light on on the wine industry in terms of how the consumer has been treated, uh, and I think we need to get back uh, uh, to to uh, understanding that we need to make wine much much more uh, open and accessible for everyone. We have uh, some time for the questions. Absolutely, yeah. So my question is. Um, uh, as we work in the wine industry, and uh, in the wine industry, um, there is often uh, the idea that um, education is the future for 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 our business. We need to educate our uh, distributors; uh, they need to do their own stuff. Uh, what do you think about uh, for the future, including different cultures in education? I think um, I feel what I feel myself when I visit the United States, North America, is that uh, most of the people I work with they don't really touch those different ethnic restaurants uh, and different culture because they don't know them. They don't understand them. Uh, there is an education problem. So it's not actually, I think, uh, uh, pure racism. It's sometimes they, they, they basically they don't know them. So what, what do you think about this? Uh, well, I, I, think, I think that's a, a very important point. Uh, and... And again, I, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I, these issues are very complex in some ways, and in some ways they're so obviously simple. And the simple uh, solution to that, if you don't know, you ask, right? And and this is where sometimes it becomes almost. Um, uh, I sat on the board of uh, uh, of an organization, uh, community foundation, uh, and this co community foundation uh, is the largest non-governmental funder in uh, Northern Alberta, uh, grants some $28 million a year into the community. And the, on the board, the discussion was about, okay, how do we engage um, members of different communities, the cultural communities that, that live in the city? And it was 14 board members around the table, uh, 12 white board members and two non-white board members. And there was this discussion amongst all the white board members in terms of how do we engage, how do we engage, how do we engage these other cultures? And so finally, I just said, ask them. And and really, I mean, it's it can be as simple as that because, again, it's it's okay not to know, right? It's okay not to know. But uh, the next step is, is okay, I want to know, explain it to me. And I think people are intimidated by that, but they shouldn't be because just the expression of interest is something that will be new and welcoming uh, relative to what the situation has been, which is basically, I don't know, so I'm not even going to go there. 
So I think you know the the um, the best way to uh, find out about something uh, is is to ask, and I think that question uh, or that approach will be very much appreciated and welcomed. My questions about uh, about wine media and specifically, I've been in the industry for twenty five years. Have you seen? Uh, do you feel like things are moving in the right direction? And then also in addition to that, maybe even, I know it's a, it's a whole other can of worms, but uh, gender inequality, because it's, it's kind of the same thing. Have you seen improvements in that, in the wine media sphere? sphere? Do I see things improving? Um, hmm. You know, it's, it's almost a situation sometimes where it's uh, two steps forward, one step back, and in some cases two steps forward, three steps back. Um, there's been periods over the last 20 plus years where I have absolutely seen progress. Um, yet, uh, too often, um, we see the same issues. We see the same uh, things written because, quite honestly, it's the same people who were writing 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that continue to write the same way today. And they write in publications that are considered to be respected publications. So their word is taken as, as authority. And are there new voices? Absolutely, there are new voices. And I love seeing these new voices that are out there that are giving the different perspectives. The problem is, is that uh, uh, too often there's too many people that are holding on to the old perspectives because these people have been doing it and writing this way for a certain period of time. Uh, and the audience, while uh, the audience is becoming more diverse because the industry is welcoming more uh, a diverse audience in, the audience is still predominantly a traditional audience. Uh, so is it progress? Yeah. Is it taking time? Absolutely. Do I want to see go faster? Absolutely. And one of the reasons why I bought the magazine is to push that process a little bit faster uh, than than what I've seen in uh, in other publications. Um, in terms of um, uh, gender equality, um, I, I think I think that is something that um, and. I'm probably not the right person to be to, to be speaking to that in the sense that uh, I can speak from the perspective of what I have uh, seen in our publication, and, and I can speak from the perspective of what um, uh, the conversations I have I've had with many uh, female writers, uh, and I think that uh, I mean Quench was one of the few publications that you know 15 years ago uh, are. Uh, our writers were half female, half male. We had gender equity a very long time ago because the magazine has been, I think, relatively progressive uh, uh, compared to most. Uh, in the industry as a whole, I think I see it improving based on when I'm on a press trip uh, and you know the breakdown of, uh, of the people who are attending. Uh, do I still think that there's a long way to go? Absolutely. Um, in terms of... Uh, in terms of compensation in the industry as a whole, uh, there was a study done in Canada recently for uh, female uh, winemakers versus male winemakers, and there is not uh, uh, equity as yet. Um, and so I still think that in all aspects of uh, equity, we need 
just continue to move forward. And, and there's a lot of hard work that still needs to be done. Do we have uh, any other uh, questions on our presentation today? Well, it's about working towards uh, inclusion. Um, as someone who you know, builds wine businesses and companies from kind of the from the bottom up, uh, there's a responsibility that I feel that I have to, and we've had this conversation a number of times before. I'm very fortunate to be already versed in this, and I've we've had the conversation where I, I didn't quite know, and I still am learning, that's why I'm here. But um, as someone who's working towards ensuring that you're running a business properly, uh, we've come across the the challenges where there are there's an inequity between those who have perhaps the highest level of education and exposure uh, that does not correlate with uh, members of the BIPOC community or uh, or gender as well. And what would you what would you recommend or what what's your perspective on how to solve that challenge? Well, I think part of the issue is you know when 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 the question is there's not enough people at this level uh, from the BIPOC community in the wine industry, it's because it starts from early on, it starts from access, right? So in order for somebody to have a level of experience, they have to have had the opportunity to come into the industry. And I think that's a time thing, right? So it's, 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 it's a situation where, where those barriers have been in place for such a long period of time and they're systemic barriers. And so the way to change that is to actively look at things like mentorship, to actively look at things uh, like uh, breaking down the barriers to entry and actually providing those opportunities that before didn't exist. And these opportunities can only come, I mean, any time an issue is systemic, the only time, the only way to actually resolve those issues is for the dominant culture, in this case, the white culture, to step in and say, okay, no, it's important that we have this diversity. And so that's how change occurs when an issue is systemic. Uh, but I think, you know, the, uh, and there's a couple of organizations now in Canada who, you know, have stepped up in terms of providing mentorship to, to BIPOCs. Uh, uh, and I see that happening in the U.S. as well. And I think that's a real critical uh, area that needs to be expanded on. If you have any other question, I would like to, in the meantime, to thank again Gurvinder. Um, we exchanged some emails before uh, on the presentation, and um, I, I told Gurvinder that uh, probably uh, I, I don't see these issues only limited to to uh, the current the current uh, minorities or culture. They are suffering because of this racism. Uh, as is it as an Italian, okay. As Italians, we experienced this years ago. We were the minority. We were an underestimated, uh, appropriated, okay, culture into North America, okay. And then we became uh, integrated with society and part of society that uh, was not anymore possible to ignore. So my hope is that uh, even to the wine business, uh, even into the industry, uh, we say there is not actually uh, reasonable and, and actually uh, respectful to start in, uh, to include minorities, but it's actually also a lost opportunity, as I was saying before. 
uh, where you're not able to speak with uh, the Indian uh, community to the Korean. If you talk about like New York, for example, there is a big Korean community in the wine industry. You're using it is the Chinese community. You're using a, part, a, a substantial market, uh, you know, substantial market. Okay. So uh, even even though even though even you know. Yeah, so I hope actually would be would be needed also under this point of view. Okay, and and integrate into education into okay to understand that uh, you need to address the full society. It's not possible anymore to to stick to the old, you know, ideas. So so again, as Italian, we slowly and uh, through a long time reach this position. Now, of course, okay, if you go back like forty years ago, fifty years ago. Uh, Italian, you know, restaurants in the United States were spaghetti meatballs. <laughs> now we have Michelin stars. Okay. <laughs> uh, I see when I was a kid, I was traveling with my father, you know, and there were trattorias back then. Now, you know, the top restaurants in Manhattan, you know, between the tip top restaurants, you find Italians. But actually it would be, because it would be like this for every uh, culture that yeah, you can find in the country and in North America in general. is a lost opportunity, is a lost opportunity to, reach, uh, to enrich yourself and, and, and uh, meet, uh, you know, and meet also under the personal point of view, not be able to reach the different communities and cultures. So thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, and I hope actually uh, the change will be faster than, than, than uh, what you see, you know, soon. Okay. We and uh, and um, it will be great. Okay. Thank you again. Grazie. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, the second early bird discount on tickets will be available until September 18th. For more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.